Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your shadow. Another dimension. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. The Twilight Zone. Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to a podcast not only of sound, but also of mind. It's Time to Rewind is a podcast that takes a journey into a wondrous land of time loops whose boundaries are that of imagination. Each each episode, my guest and I explore these time loops, one loop at a time. This stop is Trapped in the Twilight Zone, and this is the third stop at 1961's Season 2, Episode 26, Shadow Play. Here with me is my guest Austin Pryor from Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute. How are you doing today? Uh, doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to have you on. And you know, I've I, I think I've I wanted to take just a quick minute to talk about the decision that I made on the release order of this group of shadow play episodes. Um, because you know the the first two Twilight Zone episodes, it was three different guests talking about the same episode and with shadow play there was a little bit of a difference at the end the the second repetition so i decided to go ahead and you know make a second episode for that part of the loop and then we also have the 60s version and the 85 remake but since it's still just the two episodes i wanted to have at least a couple guests to talk about it, to stretch it out a little bit more. And I was going back and forth between, um, you know, releasing the, the two 60s episodes with Alice and then releasing these two episodes and then doing the 85 and the 85. But I thought it would be better to stick with Alice uh, for four episodes and also this peek peek behind the curtain this is a bit of a a last minute schedule change because the my original guest dropped out and you know i i did have i did have austin scheduled to be on an episode but originally i had him later so i got i got bumped up the schedule yeah yeah but uh yeah no you're you're very committed to your loops i uh (laughs) i admire us but um yeah, so are you going to be doing? Yeah, you had three different guests for the for for the first thing you're covering, but I, I you're you're not having a third guest for this for Shadow Play, are you? Or no, since since I did yeah. stretch it out, well, and and especially yeah. since it's you know we're talking about the '60s and the two versions, yeah, and they're yeah. so similar to each other. So yeah. I, I thought you know eight episodes is plenty, and I thought that uh, you know doing another four. To make it twelve episodes, I thought that would be a little bit too much time. <laughs> it would be over the top, <laughs> but it is. It's it's just, uh, yeah. It's it, it, they should have been more considerate in structuring their episodes in a more <laughs> podcast friendly way. You know, they should have been thinking ahead in 1961. You know, come on, come on, guys, get it together. Yeah. So um, I believe you said, but before we started talking, that um, you don't really have any background with the Twilight Zone. Was that right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I like I have the same kind of 
cultural absorption of it. I was listening to Alice's episodes and she was talking about it. She's I'd be a bit more familiar with her just because I'm that bit older. I'm, you know, 41. So I've you know, I've I've been marinating in the in the cultural juices for that long. <laughs> so so there it's all it's all there. And I mean, it's it's that thing. And I've talked about this in a couple of different podcasts where when something is so big in the zeitgeist, you you think you're more familiar with it than you are. So um, you know, the Rod Serling submitted for your approval, the, the, the strange case of blah, blah, blah. And you've just seen it in so many Simpsons and, you know, Tiny Toons did it and every, you know, and you just, you, you, you get it, you absorb it by osmosis and you kind of go, yeah, 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 Twilight Zone. I get it. I know the format. I know what it's like. And then just as soon as I watched this first 1961 episode, I was just so impressed at the the format and how fresh it felt and and the you know it was absolutely of its time but at this it does have a timeless quality at the same time it just it it's I love this era of television as well and so I watch I mean if you look at my DVD shelf it's kind of full of uh, well, first of all, it's, you know, it's it's noteworthy that, that it has DVDs at all, <laughs> you know, in this day and age. But also that, yeah, just like uh, the Criterion set, the golden age of television. And I kind of see some of the uh, an evolution of um, that era where, you know, TV in its infancy but, you know, in the early days, it was all about the Americans and the British and what they were doing. The first thing we see in this um, particular episode um, from 1961 is this this, uh, you know, close up shot. And then we get we realize there's a man beside him. And then they, you know, as the camera pulls out, we we physically switch on lights. It's not any kind of optical effect or dissolve or anything. They physically switch on the lights in the studio. And I think it really does, because Alice mentioned this as well, that it feels like a set. And, you know, you were kind of saying that that's really more down to just the production values of the time, which I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. But I do think that they are drawing attention to the fact that it's a set by using this lighting effect and uh, filling out. I was just bowled over. I was so impressed by it. And just because it was all shot on film and it's been well preserved over the years and I was watching from the, you know, the, the, the Blu-ray version of it, it just it looks so fresh. It looks like it was shot yesterday. And it, it just I was really kind of bowled over by it. And I'm I'm dying to get into kind of the comparison between the two versions and stuff. But I just this 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 era of tv ticks ticks a lot of boxes for me <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was interesting and i've already recorded a, a few episodes covering the the jordan peele series and in mm. in that i've you know i use that as an excuse to watch more classic episodes so in, yeah in each episode where i'm covering one segment of the loop from the Jordan Peele episodes, I'm also having a brief discussion on a different non-time re- time loop related Twilight Zone episode. And one of the Great. ones that I watched was one of the the small, they did like, I think, six episodes on, or on, on tape that they recorded on tape. And the difference in quality wow. was yeah. night and day. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, I, I thought that the 80s one was shot on video 
Um, but I think it's just the the badly remastered, and it's just I'm watching it at DVD quality. And it, I think looking at it again, I think it was originally shot on film, but it just needs a good remaster. Um, yeah, because I think the the '80s version and and the 2000s version are two of those series that yeah. just kind of have gotten lost in in, yeah. in the culture just because they they weren't very popular at the time. They don't they don't have the same cultural importance as the as the original and if you know if if I could choose one set of episodes to be better preserved than the others you know that the, the way we have it would be the way I would choose but it is a shame when you watch something uh, so gorgeous looking from 1961 and then something that's more recent is like oh this looks terrible and I'd, I'd love to see what what they actually made so I I am curious. You know, you already started talking a little bit about your thoughts on the episode. Um, yeah. But what did you think of, of this episode as a, as a whole? Yeah, well, so overall, I was just I was really impressed with the production and the approach and the and the, the kind of, um, you know, it, it was cheesy in places because <laughs> it was 1960s. So it was, you know, some of the acting is a little bit ropey, um, but it's. Some of the acting is also amazing and, and just really drew me in. Um, and then, yeah, my overall impression was kind of affected by the fact that my cultural expectations, I, I couldn't I can't conceive of a half hour drama <laughs> because TV has changed so much. You would never make this if it's drama, if it's serious, it's, you know, an hour long. So it's 42 minutes plus ads. So. I, this is 23 minutes plus ads, you know, so this is a 23 minute program and I was watching it and at the 23 minute mark, they started wrapping up and I was like, what, why is there a Rod Serling midway through the episode? Just <laughs> kind of, uh, is this coming into an ad break? And so then it just ends. And, and so I that, that my expectations, um, cause I don't know when they stopped, but nowadays it's very formal. The, the division, like if it's, if it's a half hour slot, it's it's comedy if it's an hour slot it's drama or you know lots of you know there there are obviously lots of different genres of different um slots but but those those two like that yeah, you I, I presume the jordan peele um twilight zone episodes are all 42 minutes yeah they they're <laughs> i mean yeah, they, they they're were designed for uh streaming um the yeah the CBS All Access, which is now Paramount Plus, so they, okay, yeah. So the the episode length varied a little bit, but it it was typically about an hour each episode. Yeah, it's for those kind of slots. Yeah, yeah. So that that makes sense, and that's how you do it. So that really threw me. Um, in in the 1960s, the fourth season of the original Twilight Zone, they actually did change the format to hour long episodes. Right. But at the time, they actually. It didn't work as well as they thought it would. I, I think they didn't get quite as good ratings, and uh, wow. I, I think most of those episodes, uh, there's only a couple of them that are considered top tier Twilight Zone episodes. And then they went for the fifth season. They went back to the half hour format. Interesting. That is, yeah, yeah. So I'll be dying to delve into it because it's like. Yeah, I did. I, I, I started to feel like, what the hell have I been doing in my life not watching the tw Twilight Zone? Because it was like, it's, it's, it really is. It's up my alley. And I would definitely suggest watching more episodes because yeah. the, the three episodes that I covered with the time loop aspect, I really enjoyed. And, and they held up to repeated viewings. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think that they are 
mid-tier Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would be it would be a strange coincidence if anything that resembled a time loop ha- happened to be the top tier episodes. You know, it's because it's like it's your it's your uh, your brief uh, is not it's not doing best of the Twilight Zone. You're doing time loops uh, or variations of time loops. Yeah. Um. So I I really enjoyed this and um I was definitely thrown by the um by the running time and um. So were you saying, sorry, just to go back to your previous point, were you, were you saying some of the 60s series were shot on videotape? Yeah, in the third season, I believe it was, they they, they were struggling with the, the cost of the series. And, right. Um, so they, they decided to, as a cost-cutting measure, to switch to videotape, which would have saved them you know, like I think five thousand dollars per episode, something, something wow. along those yeah. lines. Um, but the, you know, the the quality of of the episodes suffered so much, and yeah. you know, it only saved them, you know, a small, relatively small amount of money that they only did yeah. that for. I think the number was like six episodes, and then they switched back to film. Yeah, because nowadays the difference between film and video or or film and digital cinema, you know, which is a type of video as well. But but just like the the differences are kind of like they're almost just the the aesthetic. Whereas back then it was a it was a production difference. It mean you know if you're shooting on video, that means we can't do anything outdoors. Now most most episodes I think would just be kind of sound stages and and indoors anyway. But like um you. It, it, it dictates how the camera moves. It dictates the whole chain of production. Oh yeah, I I could talk about <laughs> film and television production for a long time, so I, I won't get into that too much. But uh, yeah, no, I just I love I, I love this era for that reason. You just you're working around the technology, and the technology dictates so much of what you can do, and then people are getting creative with that, you know. Mm-hmm. So there there were a few other details through throughout this episode and uh, you know i'm i'm imagining people listening to this episode i'll also listen to the the alice lauren episode because i i realize that we haven't really discussed what happens in the episode yet um but i, I yeah we them. don't need all that <laughs> <laughs> but this is um you know the main character adam grant he is in a he's basically sentenced to death and uh, by electric chair and he starts freaking out early on and he tries to convince everybody that they're part of his dream and then once he dies then everybody else will die and it it plays around a little bit with that but most of it 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 follows adam grant and i still think that it's interesting that even though the the concept is that we're in adam grant's dream there are scenes without Adam Grant in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I, I, I kind of find, I, I kept relating this as, as, as one naturally would to my own dreams. And, um, yeah, like I've, I, like you, I have had lots of dreams that are in that kind of third person. Um, and, and where I'm feeling, I'm feeling emotionally invested in the way I would be when I'm watching a movie or I'm feeling, the danger or the whatever the, the, the emotional stakes are, I'm feeling them at a remove as if I'm observing. Um, but then, but then, you know, 
I find that any dreams that I can manage to remember, that's the other part of it, um, any of those dreams where I can remember there was a, a shift from a POV, from like my own POV to a third person, that it's very fluid and strange and the sense that I'm watching TV is replaced by the sense that I'm in the story but there's still some vague sense that it is a story. You know, it's it's much, much messier than what we see here, <laughs> which is cut to the jail cell, cut to the thing. And I mean, that's partly because, you know, you want to tell a story and you want to be... You, dreams are, you know, famously, are, you know, infamously hard to listen to, you know, somebody telling you their dream. So... Yeah, they, they tend to be very surreal. They, the the yeah, transitions tend to and, be more implied than exactly anything else yeah and, and and something people do an awful lot when when they're telling you a dream is they'll kind of rationalize and they because they'll it's the first time they're saying it out loud so they'll do things like oh no we must have got in the car then because then we were i remember we were there like no you didn't get in the car <laughs> you know you don't need to get in the car it's a dream you know you didn't have to travel from there to there and so kind of trying to relate their dream and they're trying to tell it like it is a movie it's, it's not a movie you know what i mean you know, like yeah, i, I oh. think that i think the hardest part to describe in a dream is that there tends to be a lot of implied information that you, that you just yeah. know it's like you're in a yes. scene and you know how all this stuff fits together when you're yeah. in that dream and then it will shift and those implications will change but yeah. whenever you're in the dream, it makes sense. But whenever you're describing it, it's like, you know, I'm I was in in the room with my brother who was also my basketball coach for some reason, and then yeah. and I knew and we were going on this journey, and you know I knew that he was angry at me, and then yeah yeah, and then in the next scene, it's like, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's still my brother, but. Instead, he was my student for some reason. Like this aspect yeah, of his personality it's... had changed, but it's all like whenever you're in the dream, it's all implied and, and it's nearly impossible to uh, vocalize. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the track that the dream is treading into your memory the vast majority of the time is so light that from one moment of the dream to another, you're not recalling oh yeah he was my basketball coach a minute ago you know you're not you're not recalling that it's just it's just all flowing and your your mind is just yeah just giving you more stuff uh to 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 look at and listen to and and that yeah that is like people kind of don't get what their dreams are when they're trying to tell you and it's it's funny listening to people do that kind of i suppose i say people say i'm definitely thinking of like school days i'm thinking of when you're a teenager and you haven't learned yet that nobody wants to hear your dreams <laughs> uh, <laughs> um yeah so i just like in this opening i think um he i i kind of missed the line when he says you're all a dream i'm having or i thought uh, looking back i think I, I i heard him say it but i didn't think it was literal and We'll get to that when we're talking about the 85 version, because I loved how in, in the intro to this one, you really don't have a strong, it's not all laid out pat. You don't have this strong notion of what the premise of the episode is yet. 
Um, but you know there's some kind of bending of reality. Yeah, I, I think in this one he does. He doesn't say that you're all a dream I'm having. He says that when I die, you're all going to die. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. And then I rewatched it. And he does actually say the line, this is a dream I'm having. Oh. But he kind of shouts it and he's half saying and he's being and he's being dragged away. And it, you so, you know, my wife caught it when I was telling her <laughs> she, she only watched the start with me and stuff. And um, I was telling her what the premise was about. And she was like, yeah, no, he did say that. And in that in that version um because like you told me the story and that wasn't a surprise to me so he must have said it you know so i checked and she was right so he does he does say it but but the very fact that i missed it you missed it first of all it means my wife is smarty pants but also it means that um that uh yeah that it's not emphasized and you're not getting this kind of info dump in you know an info dump doesn't belong in a cold open like that it's not quite a cold open because it's not followed by the Opening credits. It's followed by the the Rod Serling intro, but this th- this thing of putting Rod Serling in the set and you just move the camera and then he starts talking. That's really modern. I I was really surprised that that was used that way. I love that because I I always pictured, and I think maybe I was thinking of Alfred Hitchcock Presents that every single episode was just there's a black void. And Rod Serling walks into it and then starts giving his spiel. So, again, I'm dying to watch the other episodes. Maybe there were episodes that were like that. Yeah, I, I think this, they play around with it a bit. But I, yeah. Because I, I can't really, I honestly can't recall how they do the his narration in other episodes. I know in some of them they do cut to Rod Serling. Because I think the other one that's, that I can picture more clearly in my head is like the the Death Ship. And, you know, because that takes place on a spaceship. So that one, they definitely Mm -hmm. cut over to him um, behind a blank wall. And then we get his narration and then it cuts back to the rest of the episode. But, yeah, I I did. I did notice that, you know, he was physically in the scene in in this episode. And and I also did appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's done to great effect. And just. What a guy, what a speaker, what a strange voice, great delivery, uh, you know, just uh, there's a style and an ease to it and also just an eccentric kind of a, a feel. And, he, and like all of the impressions I've heard of him over the years, they never really get the accent right because he, cause he, he has this odd little couple of odd little features of his accent you know like he says uh you know his funny pronunciation of zone for example which is a rather important word you know the twilight zone and he sings zone it's a really unusual way to say that word you know and i love it i love the 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 i could just you know i'm a speech nerd obviously and i just i love uh listening to it and i'm i'm gonna as soon as i'm listening i'm i'm like oh i need to i need to peg being able to do that impression you know what i mean i need to pin that down (laughs) yeah i i do i i don't focus too much on accent cadence or yeah Yeah. i i I try to focus more on the cadence rather than the accent okay for uh, for these yeah uh, the the way that i do my intros for this season Mm. Mm. absolutely yeah yeah i just i just love as well that like what a great surprise if you cast your mind back to an audience who didn't know i mean i presume you you got a list of of time loop and time loop related things somewhere and that's how you came across this episode so you expected but if but if you're watching it as an audience you know who's just like what's my story this week you know would be like not again 
you won't kill me again. It's like, what a great hook. What a great line and a great way to like, what does he mean again? This guy can die more than once. And um, yeah, and then as as it wears on, you realize, yeah, well, if he's if 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 this is his dream and he's aware it's a dream and he dies in it every time then he's putting himself through this and that's there's something really kind of chilling about that and it's a very yeah it's a very twilight zone idea although i think it is some of the additions and wrinkles that are added to it in the 80s version do do it favors to kind of enhance it and explore the idea a bit more yeah, and, and I, I actually noticed a lot more of that this time around, and, and I'm looking forward to dive into that whenever we get to the 80s version. But there were a few other details that I noticed this time around here in this version, and he does talk about the fact that the the cell and the way the prison is set up is because that's how he sees it in his mind. And yet at the same yeah. time, he brings up details that he knows but are not in his dream. Like he talks about his, his sale neighbor has a watch, but he points out that he knows that prisoners aren't allowed to have watches because of the glass. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're talking about, this is, this is something that does happen us when we started to, when we start to, I suppose we need to bring up lucid dreaming because this is what this is when you're in a dream and you become aware that it's a dream. And I, I get the impression that this guy has been having this recurring dream for so long that, uh, and in the early years when he's been having it, that he wasn't aware that it was a dream each time within the dream, you know, that, that the awareness has come from the repetition and that now he's saying, oh, there's another thing. They wouldn't allow glass in so that like what happens in lucid dreaming is, I mean, I'm no expert on it or anything, but like just from a subjective point of view, it really feels like one part of your mind is producing the images and the sounds and the ideas. And another part is kind of aware of them, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's to do with like your frontal lobe is switching on when it technically shouldn't be. And that's kind of what brings in the awareness, but uh, you know, don't quote me on that. Um, So that like he, so that's him being the observer. He's, He's playing that role, the role of the person who's aware of the dream pretty much all the way through. And then the people around him are unaware, but starting to become aware. And that's the whole plot. Uh, and so they're they're They are the dream. They are the dream that's happening to him. And, you know, in the, in the few occasions that I've m- managed to become aware in a dream and, and be able to do something about it, um, it does kind of slip through your fingers Uh, you know apparently some people can do can go into like i'm aware of a dream now i can consciously produce any experience i want and uh, that sounds amazing but i i've never managed to do that you know my my awareness of the dream allows me to influence things very slightly but i can't i can't have this kind of omnipotent control over it and i think that's what this episode does really well which is yeah i'm aware of it i can tell you and he (laughs) changes little things he changes the steak to a roast but for the most part he's just like it's just happening and you'll ring and you always call late and yeah and that's that and um and i I think it's interesting the, the way you say that you know you always you know come around this time it's almost like he he is like you said lucid dreaming and and i think that is the yeah. perfect um description for what he's doing but he hasn't 
developed the the full level of control to where he can stop the repetition but at the same time i also think because he expects the repetition then he also creates the repetition yeah yeah it's a self-fulfilling yeah and there there is one line that he says that i really love that you know whenever he's talking about um i think it's the moment whenever he's in the cell with the da and he says a dream builds its own world yes yeah uh, yeah, which it does. It, details fill them in as and when you need to fill themselves in as and when you need them. And um, but again, that process does start to break down when you get into lucid dreaming, because as your more conscious interrogates the dream and asks these questions, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why is that there? Why is this happening? It, the dream does start to um, struggle and it does, in my experience anyway, it, it, you know, it, it, it's harder for the dream to feel um, real and to convince you and to draw you in because it's not holding up, you know. And it's the same as when you tell a dream, you're, you're just saying it out loud now in, in, in your waking mind and, and the person who's, you know, sentenced to listening to you <laughs> is, is, is also w- awake. So it just sounds like, incomprehensible nonsense which is what it is and that then the sensory stuff is kind of being added that's what your 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 mind is trying to create something to match the emotion Mm -hmm. that's my little my little pet theory anyway yeah and then there there is one last little detail that i wanted to bring up um at, at one point we see that he's laying down asleep in his cell so he's asleep in his own dream. Yeah. So do you think that he's yes. having like hit some like an Inception style second level dream? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dream? Yeah. like he's having this yeah. dream in his in his dream. Well, I think of that and I only thought of this afterwards. So I, don't, I haven't studied the edit to see if this matches. But I think of that as he falls asleep in his cell. And then that's when he sees that's when he's dreaming of the third party stuff. Oh yeah, that's that's actually And if good, I were making yeah. if I were yeah, if I were making this episode, I would kind of codify that and have it that whenever he falls asleep, that's when he sees, you know, the other the other things happening. Um because if it's all kind of happening in real time and the episode is a you know, reasonable representation of the dream, well then nobody in the cell is saying anything while the scene is happening that's going on in the in the DA's house, you know? Hmm. Um so I think that's how I would kind of tidy that up. But you don't want to make it too tidy either because uh it, it, I I love the kind of the what's he dreaming about? What what how does that work <laughs> if he's asleep within his dream? Yeah. And um yeah, and the kind of joke of oh did I wake you? Um yeah, but also still in that cell in the in the in the, the 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 cells, uh, yeah, in the jail bit, there's um, the song that the 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 guy is playing on the harmonica is Red River Valley. I don't know if you noticed that no, or recognized I, I, that. I actually, I, it wasn't a song that I recognized, and you know, right, I, I didn't yeah. think to you know try to shazam it or or look it up yeah yeah i, I don't think it would shazam would have got it it just <laughs> happened to be one that i knew from growing up or i don't know how i really knew it but it's definitely red river valley anyway and that is a cowboy song which plays into your idea of 
that this version of Adam Grant likes westerns, and that's why he. Oh no, you were saying that about the night, the eighties one. Yeah, that yeah, that's why it's a hanging, and it's more cowboys. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because they changed the song. It's Amazing Grace in the eighties one. Yeah, that he's been played on harmonica. Um, but I just like as soon as I saw the guy playing harmonica, my kind of you know trope alarm or my cliche alarm went off, and I was like. Ah, uh, yeah, but this is 1961. You know, we'll give it a break. It wasn't as much of a cliche back then. And then they call it out, and it it becomes part of the story. That's like, oh, you're just, uh, it's my fault. You know, the, like everything else in this corny dream, you're just some something I saw in a bad movie once. You know, the fact that he's created this harmonica player in the jail cell is just a cliche from the movies that uh, he has integrated into his dream. You know. Yeah. So it's uh, so it's kind of it, it, I was already kind of giving license for the use of this cliche. And then I was like, oh, they don't even need it because it's uh, totally integrated <laughs> into the story. It's great. Yeah, I, I love that part. But I, I think that's pretty much all I have for for this version, unless you have any other notes that you wanted to bring up. Couple of notes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I um, the, the guy, I think it's Phil, who's across the uh, uh, the in the in the other cell yeah he's like he's like look at that guy you know uh a month ago he was a human being now what is he an animal a thing and he's saying basically don't let the walls close in on you don't let the 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 kind of awfulness of your situation break you but like that is such a it's such a kind of relic of the 60s you know uh 50s and 60s that like that like he's he's a thing he's an animal it's like no he's a, he's a he's a traumatized human being he's vulnerable and he's yeah he's dissociated and he's kind of mad out of it but like that's a very very human thing and it's so it's it, like your man is, is is not trying to be cruel uh, or kind of to dismiss the humanity of of his you know fellow prisoner here but he is like it's it's an awful awful thing to say <laughs> and it's just uh it's just amazing the 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 way these um you know the the you can watch the kind of mores of society change over time and uh it's it's also like the, the this kind of fatalistic thing of like well he's gone as well you know what i mean that like he can't you know somebody can't be brought back from that which of course they can you know yeah um w- one thing you could do is uh not kill them <laughs> you know that that'd help um abolish, abolish the death penalty that would help his mental health um yeah then the description of the electric chair i just i loved um and um this the, like you were talking about in, in in with with alice the way they um they do the the kind of optical effects to to create that like that the watery great. split screen yeah yeah and um yeah, and then once we cut to the DA's um, house, I had the same problem as as Alice described of like, who are these guys? Is this a is that is that your man from the opening scene? And is this him uh, in a flashback or something? And then it does all come together through dialogue. You know who everybody is and everything. But um, yeah, I still think it's weird that they they chose the press editor as the second character. Yeah, um, you can see why they changed it for the uh the 80s one mm. it is it, it is an odd one i guess they're just kind of thinking about who who's populating the court and um 
that yeah they're kind of they're friends from court and they maybe yeah they've they've yeah, kind maybe of, it, it, maybe they thought they thought that it would be too much of a stretch at that time to think that the the prosecution and defense would associate after hours yeah yeah because nowadays that would be quite commonplace in tv and in storytelling but back in those days you know perry mason was uh you know he was the he was the defense uh, and he was he never defended anybody who was guilty and he was always uh you know righteous and wonderful and uh, the the prosecutor was always evil yeah and it was a purely good versus evil thing whereas you know in more modern TV, it's it's their stories of power and the power struggle and and kind of systemic failures and all of that. Um, but uh, uh, who cooks steak in an oven? What the <laughs> hell is going on there? And not only that, but they like after she's cooking it, yep. she decides to go to bed. And I noticed that it was yeah. 10 minutes till eight o'clock. Yeah. When she's like, so, oh, I'm tired of this. I'm I'm going to yeah. go to bed. The dinner will be ready in five minutes. And then instead of yeah. di- instead of, you know, getting the dinner out, he goes to the jail and then comes back. You know, if yeah, if he hadn't uh, checked in the oven and it was still the steak and the steak probably wouldn't have been burnt to a crisp. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, I've I've changed it to a roast so that your house won't be burning down. I although I did see I did see her set a timer. I think it was a timer. Maybe it was just the temperature. But if it was a timer then he's okay. The the steaks will will turn themselves off. But I have I like I was looking at that and it's like is she roasting the steaks? But like it was more like on a grill. So they they're not going to cooking their own juices which is what i think of as roasting they're gonna bake she's baking steaks <laughs> well I, th- I think there is I, like like on cooking shows a lot of times what they do is they they start it on the skillet in order to uh in order to sear the outside and then they will finish it in the oven really yeah wow i uh yeah okay um I, I guess, yeah, they did look sealed and seared. In fairness, they did. They didn't look like they had been cooked all the way from that. So I guess the oven is just kind of keeping them at a good temperature. It's not doing the actual like cooking, cooking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't. It's not. It's not like I know anything about cooking, but I was. I was like baked steak. <laughs> don't like that. <laughs> all right, but I think that's pretty much all I have for this episode. But I, I'd like to thank you for joining me. And uh, why don't for anybody that hasn't heard you before, why don't you go ahead and let them know where they can find you online? Yeah, so the podcast is Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute. It is in the Movies by Minute podcast. Uh, it's in the Movies by Minute podcast format, rather. And um, so I'm sure most of the listeners here will be familiar with that format because there's a heavy crossover. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's on a, a, a long hiatus, <laughs> longer than I intended, but it is coming back and I have continued to record. And so in the new year, it's going to come back. So if you want to um, to join me, you can go to MalkovichMinute.net and you'll see all the social links there. Um, so MalkovichMinute.net. I didn't want to make everybody type out Malkovich, Malkovich Minute, <laughs> Minute every time. And um and the links are there and there's 25 episodes up so far and um, five different sets of guests. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And for the last few months, I've just been guesting on loads of different podcasts. So uh, I'm enjoying myself. 
And as always, I am Bubba Weeds, and you can find me at flights, tights, and movienights.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Weeds, and you can find this show, It's Time to Rewind, on anchor.fm, as well as anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. We also have a Facebook group, It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group where you can join and discuss episodes as they come out and also have conversations about anything time loop loop related whatsoever. And so until next time, I will still be right here, trapped in the Twilight Zone. Submitted for your approval. Submitted for your approval. Another dimension. So light to your approval, another dimension. So light to your shadow, another dimension. So light to your shadow, another dimension. self. So light to your shadow, another twilight zone. Submitted to your approval, the twilight zone. Submitted to your approval, the twilight zone. Adam Grant, a nondescript kind of man found guilty of murder and sentenced to the electric chair. Like every other criminal caught in the wheels of justice, he's scared right down to the marrow of his bones.